California and red clay in Georgia. Well, I've been around, you know, but not one place quite like home. What's up, everybody? It's Tuesday, May 12th, 2020, and this is A Talk in the Attic, making me your host, Kirk Ross. How have you been lately? If you're in Michigan, then you're probably in some sort of state of weather-induced confusion as a result of the 28-degree nighttime lows and soon-to-be 80-degree highs. But fear not, for the 10-day forecast appears to lean in the summery direction. I don't want to sound like a hack here, but what's the deal with Michigan weather? Am I right, people? It's 31 day and 80 the next. There's no in-between, none whatsoever. Look, the way I phrase that probably implies that I believe Jerry Seinfeld is a hack which couldn't be further from the truth. If you're like me, it's hard not to use Jerry's inflection when digging into everyday observations. Isn't it? It's almost impossible. Some of you seem skeptical, so let's run a quick experiment. I'm going to make the exact same observation, first in my regular tone, followed secondly by my Jerry Seinfeld. Have you seen these people wearing their masks while driving alone? And then... Okay, people, okay, have you seen these people wearing their masks while driving alone? What's the deal with that? Does your car's AC have a dry cough? I mean, come on, take off the mask. See what I'm saying? There's just something about the nasally frantic, what's the deal, timber, that simply amplifies the seriousness of one's inquiry. And it works on everything, by the way. What's the deal with Home Depot curbside pickup? More like curbside lineup and wait, am I right, people? And what about recreational marijuana being deemed essential? Last year it could have put you in jail. This year it's necessary. You need this. It's essential. What's the deal with that? And one more. What's up with podcast hosts spending so much time on impersonating me? I already exist. Find your own lane, why don't you? Well, it's funny you should say that impression of Jerry Seinfeld because today's episode isn't about impersonating you. Today's episode instead is about the enormous impact that we adults can have on the smaller less judgmental subsection of our population. That's right, children. Really, Kirk? You're doing an episode on children, on kids, but they're so small. That's enough, imposter Jerry. And yes, I am going to do an episode on children. Deal with it. In fact, you're the inspiration for the entire episode. Because when I was about nine, I started taking down syndicated episodes of your show, and then a few years later, I got my hands on a copy of your book, Sign Language, and I read that thing front to back multiple times. And what has grown increasingly evident since then is that my entire worldview was shaped by Jerry Seinfeld. Through his observational lens, I learned to see things through the same lens. And through Mitch Hedberg's lens and Norm MacDonald's and Dana Carvey's. I mean, who could forget about Dana Carvey's rock anthem about chopping broccoli? Before we get too far down the road here, let's start the show. Incredibly trite lyrics. Don't you feel like a lot of balladeers, it's like they're making them up as they go along. Aren't they? I mean, it's like anyone can write these lyrics. Like... My lady, she went downtown She bought some broccoli She brought it home She's chopping broccoli Chopping broccoli Chopping broccoli Chabababala! 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 
Okay, so far I only mentioned the influential comedians in my life. But then there's the athletes like Barry Sanders and Kurt Gibson and Grant Hill. And don't even get me started on music. John Lennon and Jim Croce, Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder, Sebastian from The Little Mermaid, you know, the greats. But these celebrities had but limited access to me, or should I say I to them, as media consumption options in our childhoods were much less bountiful than what's available today. When I aspired to learn the lyrics of the Beatles' Rocky Raccoon, I couldn't just jump on YouTube and watch a lyrics video 20 times in a row, nuh uh I had to listen, stop, rewind, listen, stop, rewind, listen, stop, you get the point. And I'm not bringing this generational technology gap up as a complain about how hard we had it back in the 80s and 90s. Instead, I'm bringing it up to highlight the fact that most of the adults who impacted me as a kid were real-world folks who I knew personally. Parents and relatives, teachers, coaches, doctors, and store clerks. And luckily for me, at least as far as my conscious memory can recollect, the adults in my life were so effing cool. I mean, my dad wasn't as cool as Tim the Toolman Taylor, obviously, but he was a pretty close second. He coached me in nearly everything, my friends too, so he was essentially a parental figure for an entire community. My mom was ultra-nurturing and talked to me constantly. Was always positive, albeit the rare occasion where she had to play disciplinarian. Look mom, everyone draws dicks on their physics folders, why am I getting singled out? My teachers and coaches, some of whom will certainly be guests on the show, were also very positive role models. One of those coaches, who I've come to know as a really great person now, was still really young when he first started coaching high school football in the summer of 1999, and so maybe he didn't quite understand appropriate boundaries just yet. So you can imagine the surprise in our ninth grade brains when the new coach huddled us up near the watering trough, and yes, that's what we called it, a watering trough. What's next, uniforms from the dress barn? But you can imagine the coach huddling us up and exclaiming, Today, gentlemen, is a good day. You know why? Why, coach? Because at 5 a.m. I was tapping that ass. Woo! We all cheered. Sounds cringeworthy, I know. But in context, and now knowing the man behind this bizarre brag, I can assure you that it was an innocent thing. Quick sidebar here, one that's haunted me for over 20 years. Was Coach Reed really tapping that ass that morning? And at 5 a.m., where? And to whom, pray tell, did that ass belong? Back to the point. The adults in my life as a child, in any child's life, are constantly imprinting their perspectives downward. I once had an infamous PE teacher. We'll nickname him, I don't know, Chip. And heading into my freshman year at SVSU, I was using my high school weight room to work out. More specifically, I was doing sit-ups on the decline bench, complete with a plate grasped firmly against my chest. I mean, kind of a ridiculous workout, really. But suddenly, Chip approaches me. Hey, finish that setup real quick and I'll give you some advice. I dismounted the apparatus when to my surprise I noticed Chip was lifting up his t-shirt exposing a thick weave of salt and peppery body hair to top an enormous beer belly. You know, I used to do a lot of those weighted inverted sit-ups too and that's how I got this, he explained, tapping above his belly button with two fingers. Wait a minute, I'm doing this very exercise for the express purpose of avoiding getting one of those. You laugh, but I'm serious, Kirk. Sure, I've got a little extra weight on top of that these days, but most of what you're looking at here is overdeveloped ab muscles. 
I did my best to conceal how unbelievably comical I found the whole situation to be, fighting my temptations to blurt out, most of what I'm looking at is body hair, belly button, lit, and Miller High Life, but I'll take your word for it that it's actually primarily muscle. And as soon as Chip left the weight room, I was right back on there, doing as many reps as possible, beat it, Chip. But this isn't about teasing Chip, no, there's a lesson here, and it's a plain and simple lesson. You see, I disobeyed Chip, scoffed at his advice, chalking it up to his glory day lens. And I kept doing those ab exercises. And now here I am, 17 years later, I too have an overdeveloped set of abdomen muscles. Guess I should have listened. Look, the point is, if I can remember frivolous tales of yesteryear like this, then what about all the meaningful lessons I was taught too? My dad was always really big on work ethic placing it as far as I can see above most everything else, and how he instilled that in me is something that I still think about to this day, something I still say out loud on a daily basis. Picture a seven-year-old me, blonde-haired bull cut, back before my abdomen was so overly muscular, working in the garden next to my dad, who was in his 40s but looked far younger and much fitter, as my mother once put it to my friends and me, your dad, oh man, he had a body that just didn't quit. Uh, thanks, Mom. So little me and my super hot dad were working on the garden. It's hot outside. Hey, I think Gabe is out on the sidewalk on his bike. Can I go play? Not until we finish what we're working on, my dad said. And then, sure enough, once the work was complete, he always held his promise. We'd walk up to the house. I'd grab him a beer or a pop. And we'd have a drink in the shade as he'd explain, Well, got that little job done. And those words, well, got that little job done, they were like the quitting time bell for me. The combination of the cracking can, the aggressive swigs, as he calls them, the Pavlovian, and remember, don't do this if you're with Colombian people. It all led up to, well, got that little job done, and I was off, playing and riding my bike with Gabe. But this was such a consistent value drilled into me by my dad that it became the natural way to deal with things. And to this day, I'm always making sure that I've gotten that little job done before I move on to the more recreational tasks. And I'm so, 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 so grateful that my dad taught me about work before play, that fun and games weren't really fun unless the opportunity was earned. I can recall a poem that my dad wrote when he was young. He used to recite it often. And really, looking back on it now, it really encompasses his whole theory. And the poem goes like this. Good old days, ain't they dandy? Holding hands and eating candy. Good old days, ain't they bright? Picking flowers and flying kites. Good old days, fading fast, working first, and playing last. My dad authored that poem 55, 56 years ago when he was 12 or something like that. What an incredibly responsible and lame message for a 12-year-old to have written about. My God, even as a boy, my dad was making sure that he got that little job done before he could go play. But my entire personality comprises millions of fragments of the adults who I was exposed to as a kid. What starts as emulating an idol quickly becomes an authentic part of the completely unique combination of influences that ultimately manifest as a child's personality. Cool parents usually have cool kids. Just ask my neighbor Ashton, the six-year-old genderless kid next door who wears skinny jeans and sells me his parents' vape pens. And mean parents usually have mean kids. 
Just ask my neighbor Julia, the eight-year-old girl who keeps stealing my vape pens. Better yet, don't ask Julia. Just take my word for it. If you're a parent and you think one or all of your kids are little jerks, then I have a message for you. It's likely that you are a big jerk. Not always, but oftentimes. And if you're a parent who used to think your kid was cooler, but after two months of stay-at-home mandated quality time, you're kind of changing your tune on that same kid, then I have a more emphatic message for you, and that is you're definitely the problem. After all, you're one of just a couple of adults your kids have been hanging with these past eight weeks. Can't blame the teacher or the coach or the pastor when you're wearing all the hats. But I feel like I'm getting lost in the weeds here. There are so many directions we could go. But given the fact that I'm not a parent, I think I'll course correct here into an area which I am more qualified to speak. Perhaps the only area in which I'm qualified to speak. In my personal experience. We've spent the majority of today talking about how impactful adults are on children. And I could talk on that subject alone for days. But I want to redirect a little perspective to the opposite of this theme, which is also true. That children can be highly impactful on adults as well. And there's no better place to investigate this dichotomy than with the family of one of my all-time best friends. The guy who I once for a decade mistakenly believed answered Kirk to the hypothetical question, If you could look like one of your friends, who would it be? Turns out I completely misunderstood the question. And with this realization came the total dissolution of any confidence I had gained in my looks. That's right, some of you already know who I'm talking about. Nick, the show is a heart go. I love this guy. Can't wait to have him on the show soon. Nick and Katie and their three little boys are like a Norman Rockwell painting where 80% of the subjects are boys. It's adorable. Katie probably finds it a bit annoying from time to time, but I know she's happy as can be too. But the Zaharko family, shout out Penny and Roger as well, somebody show Penny how to listen to the podcast for God's sake. But the little Zaharko family is a perfect window into the symbiotic relationship between children and adults and the reciprocal impact on one another. And as a matter of convenient coincidence, there's a single weekend even in which this whole landscape proved out. The time frame was July 2018. I had come into Bay City to reconnect with old friends and play some golf and drink beer. And I'd be staying at Nick and Katie's in the three boys spot in Essexville. In fact, not too far from that chip fellow we had discussed earlier. The first morning I was there, I woke up to a five-year-old Alex, the Nickiest of all the boys, who was less than an inch away from my face. I mean, I could feel him breathing directly into my mouth, giggling that I was asleep on his couch. And so if I could feel him breathe, you can understand how startling it was when he sneezed into the back of my throat. Even in the pre-coronavirus era, this was problematic. But it was nevertheless effective at awakening me from my slumber. There's not a snooze button on a sneeze. Hmm. Somewhere in there, there's a language-based joke. Long story short, now I'm up. Sure, it's 5.30 a.m. Sure, I'm a little hungover, but I'm up. And the next 30 minutes were some of the most memorable of my life with this little guy. He was just five years old at the time, couldn't even read yet. And here he was, taking me through every big-time wrestler in his WWE Hall of Fame encyclopedia. Literally every single wrestler. And not only could he name the wrestler, but he usually knew their special move their entrance theme song, and in certain hilarious cases, their signature dance moves as well. Picture this. It's before 7 a.m. I'm on a living room couch in middle America. A hungover guy in a serious rut. 
is listening to random factoids about professional wrestlers. Think of the Jerry Maguire scene with that adorable kid but less adorable adult Jonathan Lipnicki. But instead of bunnies and human anatomy, it was swanton bombs, little beaver, and ravishing Rick Rude. Or wavishing Wick Wood, as young Alex called him back then. He jumped up on the couch. Hey, do you know the dance moves of wavishing Wick Wood? And proceeded to put his hands on the back of his head, elbows out. He bit his bottom lip and slowly rotated his pelvis around and around, staring deep into my eyes. It was hilarious and strange. So I had to stop him after about 10 seconds. But how did this little kid know so much about wavishing Wick Wood or, or about the People's Champ or Steve Austin? Clearly, he learned this from his dad, from Nick. And once he recognized that his dad loved WWE, he took it upon himself to love it too, to learn all the facts from his older brother Nate, who knows even more about wrestling. I remember asking Nick that weekend, is this what parenthood is all about? Is the whole point of having a kid so that someone else in the world thinks you're as cool as you think you are? Who thinks that knowing a lot about WWE is cool? Basically, uh, yep, was Nick's reply. But Nick and Katie are cool, and they're great with kids, and when they're not with their own kids, they're with somebody else's, like 30 of them at a time. And maybe that partially explains the second half of the story about the weekend of July 2018, because the second half of the story includes one of the most profound realizations that I experienced in my personal growth journey, one that I'm still on, of course. Nate and Alex talked to me like I was this heroic guy. They didn't care about my past failures or my internal strife. They were just a couple little friends of mine who looked up to me. And maybe that sounds mundane or insignificant to some of you, but to me it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I had already mentally committed to getting my shit together, to get more positive, to get to work on my long-term goals, to treat my physical health more seriously, but in retrospect, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I was worth rehabilitating. I didn't quite believe that any progress to be made would soon thereafter be eradicated or ignored or both. Then Nate and Alex Zaharko treated me like I was worth it. Some of the reasons behind their love for me were childish in nature that I was six foot three and that I made funny voices sometimes, but their apathy to things I had built up as important personal attributes taught me that I was overemphasizing them. Divorce, who cares? Nate is the most little sensitive guy I've ever met, and it's almost as if he could sense it in me when he said, you know, it's not that big of a deal that you're divorced. My aunt is divorced too. I asked him, you know what divorced means, Nate? Yeah, it means you eat by yourself, right? <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he said you know what divorce means? Yeah, it means that you eat by yourself, right? Oh, so accurate, actually. <laughs> but these little boys, Nate and Alex, eventually Jacob too, gave me such a pure form of love. A type that I so sorely needed, and at that time in my life especially, the type that I should have been giving myself. I remember later that same evening when faced with the decision to to meet some friends out for more beers, or to go back to Nick and Katie's with the boys, the decision was clear for me. And I had a blast watching wrestling and making voices and hearing about how tall I was and not eating alone, but instead with these little guys, with my little friends. I urge you to make an effort to look at life through the lens of a kid again. Some of you may have had really difficult childhoods, and that's a terrible thing to have in your past, but it certainly doesn't define you. And somewhere within each of us resides a little Alex Z, slowly thrusting his pelvis around to Rick Rude's theme song. Less specifically, someone not caring about what others think. 
not caring about whether or not it's cool to know about WWE Hall of Famers. Find your inner Alex, if you can and where appropriate. Find an hour or a day where you can just be a kid again and understand how important your words and actions are when they're around other kids. And understand also that the same little humans will ultimately reflect the same kind of love and energy back to others, including to yourself. So treat the kids in your life well, including that little kid inside of you. Look, within a month of that weekend in July 2018, I reconnected with Jessica, who became my wife, my muse. I quit boozing. I began to look at life like a kid again. And it's made all the difference. Thanks, Nate, Alex, Jacob. This one's for you. That's going to do it, folks. Peace out, y'all.